Good morning, everyone. Good morning to all these beautiful faces that I am seeing in front of me right now. May I ask everyone to stand up? Now I think now is a perfect time for us to reflect that we are indeed standing on holy ground. And the Lord of all the 66,000 people in Greater Shepperton, the Lord has brought us here. And it is a great honor and privilege that the Lord is here with us. We have a lot of bad news in the world, a lot of things happening in this country and on the rest of the world. But then we have a good news. And no matter where we go, whether we acknowledge it or not, God is good and we have the gospel and we have the good news, and that is Jesus Christ. So are you ready to sing with me right now? Are you ready to lift up your voice right now and worship the God, our Father, who is living God, who was and is and is to come? Let's sing Rescuer. The, uh, the truth or the doctrine of the resurrection uh, is... Uh, really powerful and uh, it's what the early church really uh, built um, great faith and great hope in as they went through the uh, trials and struggles of those early days of the church developing. Now for any of you guys who didn't manage to catch up with Ben or Megan uh, last week, uh, Megan's not with us today but Ben's here, Ben's here with the boys, Tuesday, Wednesday heading to Adelaide? Tomorrow morning. So if you didn't say hello last week make sure you catch up with Ben get his autograph or give him a hug or whatever you want to do there to, to say hello to him uh, before he uh, gets away today. But you guys will be back in the new year or just prior to the new year. We will let you know when they're coming back. We will let you know when they're coming back. Let me start this up. But you will hear the good news in a few weeks' time, though. It's, we will definitely do that. Okay, um, I'm not sure if some of you saw the news um, a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago, uh, the tragedy in Melbourne, uh, there was a lady who was walking at Princess Park and a tree blew over, uh, crushed and killed her, uh, and about the same time we had that mother who was uh, driving a car near Hillsville and a tree also went over uh, while she was driving and crushed her as well. Uh, just horrific things, really, really painful, horrific things. I mean, how do you cope with that? Um, how in the world do you help a f the family members left behind trying to pick up the pieces of life when such a tragedy like that unfolds? Uh, how do you comfort anybody going through that unimaginable pain and affliction like that? Actually, where do you find comfort for anybody going through any sort of pain, whether it's extreme like that, or even maybe lower level pain or affliction. Where do we find that comfort? Come with me to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, and we'll just read the first 11 verses to uh, point us in that direction. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Archaea, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort others who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our discomfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. He also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Uh, Lord, we just thank you this morning that we can uh, gather here together in this room. We thank you, Lord, for your living eternal word. And we ask and pray now, Holy Spirit, come. Come and breathe life into your word. Let this word uh, breathe life into our hearts, growing faith and building trust in the God of all comfort. We ask for your help and your strength now, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are starting a series today uh, with a letter that Paul the Apostle wrote 2,000 years ago to the church at Corinth. Uh, The letter here at 2 Corinthians uh, makes up a part of the New Testament amongst 26 other books we have in the New Testament. Here at Exchange, uh, we are endeavouring to grow healthy disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to connect people to Jesus and we want to grow people in Christ. And we are thoroughly convinced that making growing disciples, so to help disciples grow in Jesus, comes from studying and teaching this eternal living word of God, the Bible. The Bible is big here. We want to get God's word out there. We believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. That is that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, moved upon various men down through the ages to write what we have today. And it's our constant prayer that the same Holy Spirit will come and take that word and reveal to us God's mercy and grace. You might ask, Todd, why do you pray every time you finish reading the Bible? Because I believe we need God's help. I need the Holy Spirit to help me, and the Holy Spirit needs to help you also to see what's here. It's ink on pages, but no, it's not. God's Spirit works through that and supernaturally reveals Christ to us through that. So we pray for that same Spirit to work in us as well. That is that we hear God's word, and that our hearts will be filled with faith and worship. That is, as our faith grows, our hearts will also lift in loving affection and worship towards our glorious Creator who has revealed Himself through this Word and through Jesus Christ, His Son. And we believe one of the best ways to do this, to open up God's Word, is to teach right through books. We call 2 Corinthians a book here. And teach right through it, I mean by uh, passage by passage, chapter by chapter. And that's exactly what we're going to do in 2 Corinthians over the next maybe two, three months. We're going to go right through this whole book of Corinthians and see what was happening there. Who are they? Where are they? 
What's it all about? Why did Paul write this letter? What was life like for them back then? What troubles were they facing? What joys were they experiencing? We want to see exactly what's happening here in this book to see what God is teaching us today through the second letter of Corinthians. Uh, uh, Sam, I'll get you to throw that map up. First of all, we've got a bit of a map and you might be able to... It's not real big, is it? Anyway, um, see where that red line and the green line meet? Corinth is there. That's where the city is. Uh, It was a major city in the Roman Empire. It was a major gateway for inland and uh, north-south traffic going into Macedonia. So Macedonia is sort of heading up towards... um, Where's my finger? My finger... Ah, let's do it. Whoop, that's too big. It's up there. Um, Go to the next... You want... uh, uh, you see the big dot in the middle there? That's Corinth there. Uh, if you went there today, there's a tiny, it's like a tiny little land bridge just a few kilometres across. And what they did was they bring ships um, up through that gulf of Corinth and unloaded the ships and carted the, the cargo across the other side to the Sardonic, Saronic Gulf. And it became a major port city for the Roman Empire. To, to sail right around the island was treacherous seas. So they actually sailed up this place in Corinth unload the ships, take it all overland and reload it back on the ships and they take off again. If you go to Google now, they've actually carved out what they call an ismuth through there. It's like a channel and the ships now actually go right through that. I say all this to say that it was a major, major city for the Roman Empire. A big city, a very important city. Inland traffic, north and south, also a seafaring city as well. It had lots of big business with plenty of money there. It was a big town. This also, though, brought about lots of entertainment and pleasure with plenty of illegal activity. Prostitution, gambling, all types of vice were in this city at that time. Also, sport was high on the agenda for the city of Corinth. Uh, Again, you'll find some of the ruins there of many stadiums around this city at this particular time. It could be said, with these things in mind, it could be said it's a bit like, Corinth is a bit like Melbourne, the sporting capital of Australia, Sydney, perhaps the business centre of Australia, and also the Gold Coast, the entertainment centre of Australia, all rolled into sort of one city. That's what you'll find in Corinth. Uh, Some reports have the city heading towards maybe one million people back then. That's pretty significant for back then. We're talking 2,000 years ago. That's a big city. So the Holy Spirit moves on Paul to go and plant a church in that city. Paul goes to the local synagogue. Uh, to speak with the Jews, telling them that the Messiah has come. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He has fulfilled the scriptures of the Old Testament. He has come. The Holy Spirit moves upon that word that Paul speaks, opening up the Old Testament, so that people, their eyes are open up to believe the gospel of Jesus, and a church is born in Corinth. Praise God for the church that was born in Corinth. Praise God for any church that is born. That is a testament to the gospel. This church gets going, but after a short while, they hit a few road bumps, as you do when many different people come together. So Paul writes a letter here to try and sort out a few issues that are happening within the church. They've written to him and said, hey, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, what do we do? Paul writes back. Uh, Scholars believe there are actually four letters written to the um, city of Corinth. We only have two in the Bible, and that's totally okay. The two we have is exactly what God wants us to have, but there could have been two others possibly floating around. Paul opens up uh, this letter with a familiar theme right throughout the New Testament. People are experiencing troubles in life. 
people are facing the troubles of life. Paul's first point in this first passage here then is that he wants to set our hearts in the direction of worshipping God right from the get-go, right from the start. Paul opens up with praise. He's going to talk about affliction here as we go through this. He's going to talk about comfort and he's going to talk about hope. And he's going to lead us to worship God, our great God, as the God of all comfort in the middle of these hardships, in the middle of these afflictions. So let's jump in with that short introduction and a little bit of background there. And the first thing we see about Paul in here, in these first verses, he makes many references here to afflictions or words associated, like suffering comes through there. I think about six times there's either afflictions or suffering, something is happening there. The word afflictions refers to all the troubles of life, and Paul's writing that for us. This includes all of our physical, emotional, relational, and financial issues, challenges, mental challenges, mental issues, anything in life that we come across, all shapes, all sizes, all types. It's a general term here Paul's talking about to describe all of our troubles. And it doesn't take too long in this world to work out that we face trouble. When you're a little child, you soon discover you can't have everything you want. And if you cross mum and dad's boundaries, well, then you meet the wrath of mum and dad. We soon very quickly discover this world has trouble. Sometimes, though, sometimes, some people think that when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we may think that this will be the end of all our troubles. Maybe you've been told that. Maybe come to Jesus and all your troubles will go away. But Jesus comes, that's the first thing he does, is take them all away. No, it doesn't happen like that. Uh, You've got to take a short read through the New Testament and you quickly see that's just not the case. Life doesn't fall away with all of its troubles. Life still continues to come on with its dramas. Uh, Right throughout the New Testament, there's consistently these people are facing the challenges of life. I'll go so far as to say that when you become a follower of Jesus, probably your challenges in life will increase. Now, that's not a great way to attract people and build a church, but it's the truth. Become a follower of Jesus and probably your life will have more challenges in it now. What you'll probably encounter is a whole new set of troubles, like the Holy Spirit who's renewed you within at conversion or being born again. It now sets your mind to sort of clashing with the world that we live in. The world wants to live in that direction, but the Holy Spirit leads us in that direction. So we have a new set of problems, new set of challenges or dramas uh, that we will go through. So don't be shocked as a Christian, as a believer, that you're going through troubles. It's normal. It's normal. Paul actually sees that these afflictions or troubles that we are going through is like sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Look in verse 5 there. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Paul's saying, likening that, that we are sharing actually in Christ's sufferings when we do that. From the perspective of the gospel or the viewpoint of the gospel, as Christians, we now know that what we go through is the brokenness of our own lives and the brokenness of this world we live in as a result of our own sin and rebellion. We experience trouble in this world because of us. Jesus also suffered in this world, not for any brokenness in himself, because he wasn't broken. He was perfect in every possible way. 
but he suffered in the brokenness of this fallen world. He also suffered because he took his brokenness and sin upon us. But Paul sees it here that we are sharing in the same sufferings of Christ, that as he lived in this broken world, so too are we living in this broken world and experiencing the same things. We live in affliction. It's the fact of a broken world. So yes, we are in affliction and trouble, but in God's sovereignty, these afflictions and troubles aren't wasted or useless times of our life. God works in all these challenges and dramas to bring us comfort. He ultimately does this to show himself great to us in the middle of our distress. Look in verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. The word comfort there means to console or to encourage. God hasn't forgotten us in our afflictions. God hasn't left us to fend for ourselves in the middle of high-grade drama, high tension. God hasn't deserted us and left us on his own. Paul sees the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, right there walking alongside us in the journey of life as we experience troubles, consoling, calming, reassuring us that we are not on our own as we face these challenges, as we face this affliction. Right in the heat of the drama, right in the heat of the problem, we feel drained and powerless. Yet, the Holy Spirit is there keeping us together during that heat. You may be asking yourself right now, what is this comfort that Paul's referring to? Well, Paul doesn't give us the exact detail here on how that looks. But we can see from other parts of Scripture how God's comfort does work in our lives. God and his glorious presence with me speaks deep calm and reassurance. Have a look in 2 Timothy 4, 16, 17. It says this. Paul here speaking again to Timothy. At my first defense, no one come to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Paul's deserted. He's isolated. He's on his own. He's in a Roman court. But he says that in the next verse, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Paul didn't have the physical presence of God there with him. But he says, the Lord stood by me. Paul did have the presence of God, not the physical presence of God. And the Lord brought peace and strength to Paul. I can imagine Paul would say this, I can't explain it. But I'm in that courtroom and I felt encouraged. I can't really put it into words other than to say that I just felt I wasn't alone in that really tense situation. I was comforted, Paul would say. What is this comfort that Paul experiences? It's the living, abiding presence of the Holy Spirit inside of Paul, dwelling within Paul. It's God the Holy Spirit powerfully dwelling within him and us, working within us, providing his strength to us 
It's the Holy Spirit who miraculously works peace in the middle of turmoil. It's the peace that surpasses understanding that God brings, that God in his own presence of the Spirit within us brings. This is where God powerfully, as it were, emerges into our life, yet quietly, God doesn't always come with this little loud fireworks and explosions, it's the quiet presence of the Holy Spirit that's in there and speaks to me in the middle of this heat and I sense his presence. I sense that God is with me and it's like this. It's okay. I'm not on my own. It's okay. I'm not on my own. And with God, we are never alone. We are never alone, no matter what we're facing and what's happening in our lives. God is the God of all comfort. We've got to believe that, church. It's real. It's real. Paul, though, wants to build us here a deep hope in this comfort. Look in verse 7 here as he begins to lead us towards this hope. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul's pretty confident there, isn't he? He's back in a winner in his mind. He says, our hope for you is unshaken. This hope can't be moved. This hope is fixed no matter what you're going through or what you're facing. This hope, Paul is saying, is immovable. It's unshaken. You cannot disturb the foundations of this hope. And Paul's saying, you will share in this comfort. You will share in the comfort that God gives. And he goes on to verse 8 to say this about himself. Hey, I thought I was going to die in Asia. I thought it was going to be curtains. I thought my number had come up. This goose was cooked as far as Paul was concerned. As far as I'm concerned, the death sentence was upon me. Now, Paul did come close to dying in Asia. He was stoned by a mob in Lystra, dragged out of the city, and the Bible tells us in Acts, dragged out thinking he was dead. Not only that, He had been violently chased out of many towns by religious fanatics who didn't like the truth that Paul was bringing to them. And he had massive riots in Ephesus where all they wanted was Paul's blood. Paul's life was under threat many, many times. And quite probably there may have been a Roman um, judgment handed down that Paul was going to face execution. Paul despaired of life thinking his life was coming to an end. So what's this hope that Paul has? Well, he begins to reveal this hope for us in the next verse, in verse 9. Towards the end of it, he says, But on God who raises the dead. Paul knows the power of God. Paul knows that he can raise the dead. And quite probably, he's thinking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was raised from the dead. Paul knows the power of God. Paul's hope is is, is in faith, in God's power, that God is our hope. Verse 10, he confirms it for us. He says, He delivered us, he's talking about God, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us, and He will deliver us again. On Him, we've set our hope that He will deliver us again. Paul's unshaken hope of comfort is in the God who delivers. The God who delivers. He delivered Jesus and he will deliver us. Nothing can stop God from delivering us from our afflictions. He is unstoppable. He sovereignly holds all things in his hands. 
and his will and purpose will prevail. God is our hope in this suffering or affliction we may face. Let me just pause here for a moment and think about this deliverance from affliction that Paul's talking about. What does that mean? How might that deliverance look? There's a few ways we can probably view this. Sometimes, sometimes God will totally deliver us from the trial that we are in. Sometimes God will actually remove us totally from the trial and miraculously it will be gone. Amazingly, we are withdrawn from that affliction and we no longer feel the stress or the tension of it. Sometimes God may heal us of a sickness absolutely totally and wholly in every possible way. Sometimes God's deliverance looks like that. It really does. That isn't the usual way that God works, but sometimes God works that way in deliverance. Sometimes God may just significantly reduce the stress during our trials and deliver us in that way. He might just take the heat out of it for the moment so we can draw a breath and gather our thoughts and just sort of regain our composure. Sometimes the deliverance means just a lowering of the stress or the heat that we're in. That's a deliverance that God brings. Deliverance doesn't always mean that God will, will remove us from the trials or the afflictions we face. It tends to be more often than not, God will take us through the trials and what he delivers us from during that trial period is the loss of our faith in him. That is a deliverance that God does. Often, afflictions, trials, challenges test our faith and sometimes people throw their faith away during these trials. We've got a couple of big name people on the media over the last couple of months who've said, well, I'm no longer a Christian, I just, I just don't believe it anymore. I don't know what's happened in their life. Maybe they've faced a major challenge or a major trial. And maybe they just made a wrong turn, not towards God, but maybe away from God. God's deliverance, though, through these trials, is often the persevering grace that he gives that enables us to endure and keep our faith despite the mighty challenge that is before us. God enables me to get up again tomorrow, which takes a lot of effort sometimes if you're in the middle of a deep, deep trial. God gives me the ability to get up again tomorrow and to work through those challenges and to keep my trust intact with him. That is a miraculous deliverance that God gives. Often trials actually make, can make a shipwreck of our faith. God's deliverance is my trial, uh, my deliverance is my faith is kept in him while that's happening. Deliverance may look like this. Sometimes our life may end in this world and we are comforted by him and his presence face to face. That's a deliverance that God brings. It may be a battle that you and I face that ends our life here on this earth. It might think in the sense we've lost that battle, but yeah, we have, but we've won the war in Christ because we are delivered from that battle and we are now face to face with God Almighty and living in his presence. And that's totally okay. That's totally okay. Paul says in Romans, who will deliver me of this body of death? 
thanks be to God in Christ Jesus who has done that. Sometimes we may lose the battle in the temporal sense. Cancer may kill me. Cancer may kill you. And you are delivered by being transported into the next world to see God face to face. And if that means heaven, hallelujah. Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's deliverance. Here's a few other things as we think about this deliverance and think about this comfort. Why may God allow me to go through some trials? What is God doing perhaps in me through these trials? What's the purpose of them? Now, we can't always get a purpose. Many times you can't find a purpose for these trials. But here's a few things that God may be doing through trials and afflictions as he's bringing comfort into our lives. First one here, God teaches us endurance. God teaches us endurance through the trials. Verse 6, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. God is building patience and endurance into us through these trials. God is strengthening our character, I'd nearly say through the anytime fitness gym of life and all the challenges we face, because it is anytime they come along to us, God's actually building strength and character and endurance to us. In the end, as we remain strong in him through life's difficulties, this becomes an amazing testimony to the power of the gospel and it builds resilience within us to trust in God. He may be using trials or challenges to build that endurance within us. When we go through trials and uh, challenges and are comforted, we can comfort others. Look in verse 4. Who comforts us in all our affliction, that is God, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That is body ministry in the gospel. That is body ministry in the gospel. Even though I'm the lead pastor of this church, I haven't had all the life experiences you've had. I don't share every experience that every other person has here. There are some experiences that are probably unique to all of us in some extent. Some of you have experienced very painful times in your life, painful events you've been through. But at the same time, you've also experienced the powerful presence of God in comfort during those times. Remember again, the times of affliction and pain that we go through are never wasted in our lives. This is not a pointless exercise that I'm going through. God may have led you specifically into those times of deep pain so that you can be a minister of grace to somebody else down the track. So that you can comfort somebody else going through potentially the same thing. You can come alongside somebody knowing they're going through a similar experience that you've had yourself and what you've been through and you know exactly how they're feeling at that particular time. You can identify with that immediately because you've been there before. You know what they've gone through. You've experienced that. And when that's the case, when you can come alongside somebody else who's been through something you've already been through, you may be the best positioned to hear their story and help 
realign their hearts back to the grace that God gives. Because you know what they've been through and you can identify with that and you can sense that grace in their lives, sense that pain in their lives. You're right there with that. You are the best person positioned to do that. Quite probably, you'll know what that person can take and when they can take it. Because you know the strength of their mind. You know maybe what's happening with them at that time. And you'll probably also know when they're going through that, when to lovingly call out their faulty thinking. Because often that's the case when we're in deep trial and affliction. We just start to think the wrong way. But if you've been through that, you're the person who's got the right connection there to try actually help call out their faulty thinking at that time. You can help take these people and point them to the comfort that you've received from God, which is the unshakable hope of the God that is the God of all comfort. Because you've been there and you can identify with that. You could say, God has kept you this far. He's with you. He'll be with you to the very end. He won't let you go. Trials and deep pains sometimes can be the most powerful places to minister the gospel to other people in trial, particularly unbelievers who are going through challenges. I thought of that lady the other week walking in that park, walks by a tree or walks up to a tree, the tree falls over her and crushes her just walking a dog or whatever she's doing. And I think about this lady. She's, she's a mental health professor doing really good work and she dies of two small children left behind. It just seems like a tragedy with absolutely no answers possible or any absolute reason behind it. And, and I would think to myself, who could minister to a family like that? Who actually can come alongside with that husband there and those children in that deep, deep pain? Who could possibly do that? Perhaps, just perhaps, somebody who's gone through a similar situation knows exactly how they're thinking and feeling. Perhaps another husband who's lost his wife tragically in horrendous circumstances can come alongside this grieving husband now and just identify with him and hear his story and by God's grace, somewhere down the track, there may be a connection because of the afflictions they've shared together that God can use that for his grace to be administered. If you're a visitor here today, we are glad you're here and we thank you for coming. And maybe you've experienced something really painful in life. Maybe you're thinking, who is this Jesus you're talking about and this God of all comfort? We are glad you're here today. We would love to introduce you to Jesus, the God of all comfort and maybe talk about what you've been through. So we go through these afflictions so that the Holy Spirit can use us to minister to others going through their afflictions, body ministry. Whatever you're going through, no matter how painful it is, it is not wasted. God will use it. We go through afflictions also possibly so that God can show himself great in our lives. Look in verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, to rely on God who raises the dead. See what Paul says there? Rely not on ourselves, not to look to myself, but on God who raises the dead. Sometimes in life, 
We are prone to uh, go through stuff without really considering God. We sort of just march on into something and we think, I'm good enough, I'm strong enough, I'm resilient, I can do this, I don't need any help, I'll be right. We sort of think it's all me, it's all my strength going through this. Or, the other hand is, I've tried everything in the middle of this trial. I've tried everything possible I can think of and I'm still suffering. I'm still feeling the pain. It can go either way. Bravado, well, I just, I can't do anything else. I've tried the lot. Often, God allows these trials to come upon us because he's teaching us to rely on him and not on ourselves. Look at this verse in, in Job with me, uh, Job 36. He delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. God will often use the affliction to deliver the afflicted. God will often use the pain that we experience in life, the horrible circumstances that we face in life, to show us our weakness and inability. Because sometimes that's what we might need at that particular time. He uses that to deliver us, to open up our ear, as it were, by adversity. But then in those same painful circumstances, when we think there is no way left or no other possible escape route here, God shows himself great to us and mighty because he's the God of all comfort. This has been the testimony of countless Christians, thousands of believers down through the centuries. When they've been down and out, when they've got nothing left, when they just feel like they are stripped bare and everything has been stripped away from them. It's been right there at that lowest point potentially in their life that God has gloriously revealed himself to them, mighty to save and to bring comfort. Horatio Spafford wrote a hymn many years ago called It Is Well With My Soul. It was a hymn of praise. That hymn was written just after he lost his wife and daughters in a ship accident at sea. Talk about horrific circumstances. Talk about affliction. He writes this hymn of praise, It is well with my soul. He discovered the God of all comfort in a desperate time of life. Really hard to go through. Really hard to go through. But amazing revelations of God through that and out the other side. This is where the Holy Spirit leads us today as we think about Paul. We are led to worship the God of all comfort. Paul starts his letter back in verse 3. It's like an act of worship. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is like a heartfelt burst of Paul here to praise this glorious God of comfort that we have and what we see. Paul is filled with worship as he takes in this glorious God who sovereignly rules in all the affairs of this world including our afflictions. Paul lifts his eyes to the big picture. Sometimes we get caught in the small picture of life, that's okay, but he lifts our eyes to the big picture to see what God is doing here, that a sovereign God is fully engaged in our lives and fully engaged in our world of pain and affliction. Paul sees this, and Paul knows a God also that has sent Jesus in this world not only to identify with our pain, but ultimately to take on our deepest pain of sin and rebellion that is the cause of all of our trouble. And this is what Jesus does when he sets us free from that by giving us uh, his righteousness and by 
us having a new heart, new mind, Jesus then enables us now then to worship God right in the middle of our afflictions. We can experience the God of all comfort in our pain and that experience enables us to worship him and praise him for the glorious God that he is. How are you dealing with your afflictions today? What do you do to look for comfort? Some people go for comfort food. I'll just go get in the car and find a place and sit there quietly and just eat food. Some people do that. Some people go to alcohol. It just takes the pain away. That's how I deal with affliction. Some people do a movie binge. Just going to watch a whole stack of movies and just, you know, numb my mind from it. Some will do a shopping blitz. Shop, 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 shop. That's just like it. So that'll just, you know, give me something to distract on. Some will go to pornography. They'll comfort themselves that way. Some will go to some form of drug, ice, whatever, looking for comfort or looking for release from that pain they're feeling. Where do you go for your comfort? If you go for any of those things, some of them are just downright wrong, but at best they'll just be like a little band-aid just to give you just a slight distraction, just a slight distraction from the pain. But it'll all just come crashing back down on you again. There's only one place to go for discomfort. There's only one place to go for discomfort. You've got to go to Jesus Christ, who through the power of the gospel brings us into the God of all comfort. And that comfort will actually take us through whatever we are facing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can come and we can open up this uh, first passage here in Corinthians. Lord, thank you again that we see that you are the God of all comfort. Thank you again that we see through the life of Paul that he despaired of life. He had the sentence of death. He was at the lowest of low and he discovered that you are the God of all comfort. He not only discovered that, Lord, he burst out with praise and worship for the God of all comfort. Lord, today for those who are in the middle of afflictions, who are facing trials, deep, painful trials, God, I pray today, please reveal yourself into their lives through the person of the Holy Spirit to bring comfort into their lives. So maybe today, Lord, becomes that turning point in their heart and in their life where they just realize again, I'm not on my own. God's Spirit is with me to comfort me. Help us to be aware, Lord, of what's happening in other people's lives today, that we can be ministers of grace through body ministry, that we can identify with others as they go through trials, that we have been through the same thing, so we can bring the comfort to them, because that's exactly what you've asked us to do, Lord, in this passage. Help us to be willing to draw alongside them and to bring this comfort into their lives. And God, I pray that through all of this, through all of this, Lord, that we with our hearts will be lifted in praise and worship for you because you are the God of all comfort and you do meet us right where we're at. So Lord, today I pray, I ask that 
in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Neville's, Neville's going to come and lead us around the communion table now. Um, if we get those people to hand out emblems, that would be really good to give.